Thursday, February 18th. This is episode nine of The Hezzy, brought to you by basketballgods.net. Bear with me here, y'all. I had a late night. I had a late night. I usually get right into the shits, but I, I was at my daughter's high school game. Very frustrated, very frustrated. So then I had to come back late in the evening and go back through the DVR and, and do my Warriors notes and watch that game. That game was exhilarating. And so the adrenaline between the two games had your boy up super late. Anybody who who coaches or has a kid and then your squad's playing in an exciting game, that adrenaline, that excitement, hell, I couldn't eat dinner till it was midnight. So I'm a little, a little behind on sleep, but I'm going to rock with you anyway. Let's start with the Wizards Nuggets. Bradley Beal gets himself to the line with 0.1 seconds on the clock to win the game, 130 to 128. Now, when you watch the play design, he flops, he flops initially trying to come off a screen. So you could see his mindset anyway. Once he gets it, he goes baseline, 100 miles per hour, mind completely made up, and just leaps into, I believe it was Jermichael Green, who is rotating over from the weak side. And look, you know, sometimes you hate to see the cheap ones. He earned that one. The flop would have been bad. Thankfully, the referees didn't call the flop on, on coming off the screen. But he he leapt into Jermichael Green and, and made sure he was going to get to the line. Now, 0.1 seconds is playing it awful close, right? Needless to say, like he almost didn't get that off. But why I liked it particularly for Bradley Beal is because as electrifying as a scorer as he has been, Wizards fans know his jumper seems to disappear late in games. He can be hot as hell. We've, how many 50-point nights has he had, right? Late down the stretch, it seems like the well runs dry for Beal. And I'm not saying he's not clutch. I think in part it's because he carries such an offensive load, he probably loses some legs. And then in, in turn, he does settle. He's a jump shooter. That, it, that's the give and the take. When you're a jump shooter, a Bradley Beal, a Steph Curry, a Dame Lillard, you know, you're going to be accused of settling for a jumper late. But in reality, that's not settling for Bradley Beal. That's not settling for Dane Lillard. They want the jumper. But again, it sometimes in these scenarios, you're better off if you're someone like a LeBron or a Kawhi or a Giannis where you can put your head down and guarantee free throws. And so the Wizards take care of business against this Nuggets team who's on an East Coast swing, knocking the Nuggets all the way down to the eighth seed currently in this clogged up Western Conference. But, you know, I, I say that, you know, with a caveat being that the difference between the eighth and the fourth seed in the West is a handful of games. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a wild sprint to the finish. I think it's going to make for some very intense games down the stretch of this 72-game regular season. Oh, how could I forget? How could I forget? Did y'all hear what happened yesterday? You might have saw it on the on the bottom ticker for ESPN. I can't believe I buried the lead, y'all. My bad, my bad. I should have started with this. Tim Tebow has retired from his five-year minor league baseball career. Thanks, Tim. Thanks. Thanks for the news, ESPN. <laughs> oh, I'm messing with y'all. I'm messing with y'all. All right, let's, let's talk a little bit about this Warriors game here. Um, in my opinion, it was the win of the season for this, this young Warriors team. Now, you could point to that Laker game. There was a Clipper comeback. This Warriors team has kind of built the personality of a very feisty team, and they have several impressive come-from-behind wins this season. And when you look up and down the roster, it's no surprise. 
Kelly Oubre, Kent Bazemore, Draymond Green. You add into the mix Juan T. I'm rocking with Juan T. And you've got several energy guys that it doesn't really matter what the score is. They're just going to play hard. And so when you got a couple of those guys and you stir it in a pot with a chef, it's a recipe for some comeback wins. And last night I think was the most spectacular against a Heat team where they found themselves down 15 points in the fourth quarter. Oh, yeah, no Draymond, no Looney, no Wiseman. They had literally no big men. And Steph was having a rare cold night. And for three quarters, despite the effort being there, it really felt like a pointless effort. You had Bam, Precious Achua, their impressive rookie, Kelly Olynyk. They were just doing whatever they wanted in the paint. Now, they didn't spam it too much, but it was like whenever the Warriors were seeming like they could make a run, they're like, no, let's just give it to our big man here. and He'll just put someone in the basket. Now, the game ball definitely goes to my guy, Bobblehead Bays, Kent Baysmore. 26 points and eight boards off the bench. This thing went to overtime, by the way. It was nice to see the others hold Steph down until the inevitable splash is late because he put him away with some three-point daggers in that overtime. I also thought it was interesting that you saw Steph struggle without Draymond kind of setting the table for him. I think we got to credit Miami's defense, too. They're very good at taking what you do away, right? But Steph struggled with no Draymond. But then you looked at Wiggins and Oubre, and they both had very good nights, offensively particularly, right? So you could you could point to small ball. I'm not saying it's directly correlated. You just wonder, you know, Dre and Steph's chemistry, does that come at the cost sometimes maybe of some of their other players offensively? Because Draymond handles the ball a lot for a non-shooter, right? And, and you know, most hoopers, they want to touch, they want to massage the ball a little bit. They want to dribble a little bit, have the ball in their hands. It helps them find a rhythm. I wanted to get to my guy on Twitter who asked me about my Wiseman conspiracy theory. And I went live, when was it Saturday? I was live on my Patreon for about 45, 50 minutes before that Nets game. And look, it's not it's not nothing crazy, but I just, it, it ran across my mind. I like to share this stuff with y'all sometimes. Um, so I was surprised to hear when Wiseman, after the seven to, initial seven to 10 days, was going to be reevaluated after another seven to 10 days. You consider the fact that he, he finished that game. It was a Saturday night against Detroit. And, you know, a left wrist sprain. There's different grades. There's different levels. I understand everybody heals differently. But I thought to myself, I, it just again, it just popped into my head. What if the Warriors are kind of just being extra cautious with Wiseman to low-key test out small ball? Let's say internally they're discussing going and getting Bradley Beal. And so now they're like, well, let's take another four or five games without Wiseman and just see what this, get a feel for what this small ball could look like. Can Juan Toscano and Wiggins and Ubre, could we presumably place another scoring guard in this lineup and go small? What does that look like? Just a, just a conspiracy theory. Like, I, you know, I, I don't think, it, you know, it's kind of silly, right? But it crossed my mind. Like, are they, are they testing out small ball or is Wiseman really, you know, going to be out... 16 days with a strained wrist you never know man you never know but I did want to bring up this there was an article written by Ethan Strauss on The Athletic 
It was basically about Steve Kerr's offense and his off-ball philosophy. The less dribbling, the better. And if you are a part of Dub Nation or you're aware of the Warriors fan base and some of the chatter, right, it's a very divisive subject, Steve Kerr and playing Steph Curry off-ball. And basically, Steve's overall point to is, is it saves, it preserves Steph for the long haul. The less dribbling, the better. Okay. In theory, in theory, I do have some pushback. I think Steph isn't your normal off-ball player. If you look at what they're asking him to do off-ball, he's running around in circles, and that's where guys and teams are extra physical with him. They understand, like, we can't be real physical with him on the ball. They'll they'll blow the whistle. But when he's going through all those pin-downs and screens and all that stuff, that's when you see all those huge scratches across his shoulders, and that's when they're extra physical with him. He's running around in circles, spending a lot of energy off ball. It's not like they're saying, oh, Steph, go stand in the corner, rest up, preserve yourself, and then you know come flying and let somebody else set the table for you. Steph's still setting the table off ball. He's still using a lot of energy, right? And then my other point would be, Do we know that this philosophy really works when you consider it's only really been tested with an all-time roster up until, you know, a season or two ago, right? I don't want to, like, discredit Kerr, even though that's kind of what I'm doing. I'm just saying it's not proven. It's not proven. When you roll Steph, Clay, KD, and Draymond out there, any any kind of philosophy is going to work. That's the reality of the situation, and I think... If you read between the lines, that was some of the friction between Durant and Kerr. He's like, bro, this <laughs> you got an ego about your system here. It's about us. It's about the talent. Anyway, the, the big picture of the article, again, on The Athletic from Strauss, was the Warriors are kind of at a crossroads here where you're getting an MVP season out of Steph Curry. Are you going to kind of mortgage away the future in that pick and maybe even Wiseman and go all in and get him help? Or are you just going to kind of overuse Steph and let him have this MVP campaign here with not enough help for what? For a first round exit, you know? And so what are they going to do here internally? Me personally, I'm not giving up Wiseman and the Minnesota pick unless we're talking a Ben Simmons, a Jason Tatum, maybe a Brandon Ingram. And I I know you're you're thinking Jason Tatum. Yo, Boston, Boston might have to shuffle something up. I think that's a story for another time, but if you keep your eye on Boston, I'm not saying, you know, Tatum's to go, but could Jalen Brown be had? I don't know. I don't know. The right offer, I don't know. Brandon Ingram. But w- w- what I'm getting at here is to me, Bradley Beal is six foot three, six foot four on a good day. If I'm giving up the kitchen sink, meaning Wiseman and the pick, I want an elite two way wing or a young guy that is headed that way. And as explosive as Bradley Beal is as a scorer, we all know come playoff time, size matters. And I think that, yeah, I'm, I'd be willing to part maybe with one of them, with the pick for, for some more help, or Wiseman for some more help given the right situation. But you putting both of them together, you're mortgaging all the future, you better be damn sure. So Steph, you know, he, he has an off night, and he still hits the dagger and puts up like 25, 26 points. He did shoot 23 pointers last night. I think he was only like, Five of 20, I think, from three he ended up with. It was crazy, man, but it was a great win for the Warriors. And I know that 
Dub Nation is pushing for Steph to get his respect as an MVP candidate this year. And I think it's slowly building here. But I also think if you want to put Steph up there in the MVP conversation, you got to put that dude Dame Dollar right behind him, right? 43 points, 16 assists last night in the NO, including the dagger. And the difference is, like, Steph's numbers no doubt have been more impressive. We can argue who's working with less because Portland, both the teams have had have a lot of injuries to their roster, right? But the difference is right now, the Blazers are sitting in fourth. But again, the West is so clogged up, you know, a week could completely change where these teams sit. But I think both Dame and Steph deserve to be at the table for the MVP, MVP talk right now. As far as the Blazers go, I, I'll i admit it, I kind of dismissed them when uh, Nurkic and CJ went down, right? Collins, another surgery. So, you know, that, that's been incredible. I think perhaps Gary Trent Jr. is ready to be Dame's new sidekick. And now the conversation that I think we all have every season, is it time to trade C.J. McCollum? You know, I think, I don't know, man. I don't know. I think Trent at this point's ready. He fits better. He's better defensively. That's the reality of it is. C.J. McCollum's a very special offensive player. Trent Jr.'s bigger, stronger, better defender, and he's, he's just kind of a prototype 3 and D wing there. He can create a little on his own, right? But I think that the fit is there depending on what you could get. I don't know what you get for CJ. Is he 30 yet? He's had a lot of injuries. I was messing around in the trade machine. I was thinking maybe Miami, right? What if Miami offered, you know, Iguodala, Achua, and maybe Olenek as a contract, something like that, and you that adds some, some depth and some vets for Portland, and Miami gets some scoring punch because Miami, their offense can look rough at times. What else around the league? Zach Levine, another big night, 37 points in a win against the Detroit Pistons. And I think what you're seeing right now, because Zion had another, you know, big night against in a loss against against Dame, right? A 34-point night, super efficient. Levine, I think the surprising thing for me about his output is how efficient it's been. He's he's doing it at an efficient rate. And I think what we're seeing here down the stretch is we're seeing guys make their all-star pushes. Now, the, the Shuins, the Stephs, the Dame Lillards, they're going all the time. And we're talking MVP status for these guys. But the fringe guys, the Zach Levine, the Julius Randle, the Zion Williamson, believe it or not, I think he's going to get in. The NBA's got to put him in just as, as for promotion, right? But you're seeing these fringe all-star guys, I think, this, this home stretch here in February, they're gonna ha- you're going to notice a lot of big games, a lot of, hey, look at me, I'm here. I'm an all-star type type games and so i'm here for it right now as always this podcast is powered by basketballgods.net and i encourage you to go check out my guy james he's released his early notes on cade cuttingham there's going to be scouting reports headed into the draft and all sorts of different content on there i've watched about four or five of cade's games and I think the immediate thing that comes to mind for me is size and pace. And most of you by now have probably heard the Luca comps. I th- I think it's true. I think look, I think what's very similar is is how physical he is and the ability Cade has to kind of drive a smaller guard into the paint and then turn it into a post move. 
Both Cade and Luca, they use their strength and their pace so well. And once they get in the paint, they don't have to necessarily play like a guard. All of a sudden, they can slow down and kind of play a post game in the paint. And they, there's just there's a similar feel to them. But Cade doesn't near, doesn't have the flair Luca has. That that's for that's for certain. I do another comp that I would throw out there. I see some Lamar Odom in him. He's not he's not as big. He's not as long as Lamar. But there's some Lamar Odom in him in in transition when the game picks up in speed, right? So go ahead and check out uh, the early notes for my guy James over there. And uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I think I think as of right now, if you want my take on it, I think what we're gonna see is a battle between Kaminga and Cade for that number one spot. And then, of course, once we figure out who has the number one pick, that may determine it or alter that. But I, right now, if, if if I were to release a big board, I'd have Cade and Kaminga, 1A and 1B. Just three games tonight. That Raptors-Bucks rematch that I had, I mistakenly thought was yesterday is tonight. And like I said, you got to like the Bucks in a bounce back game. They've lost four in a row. I know Toronto has righted the ship, but I expect the Bucks to come out blazing. And then you've got this Lakers-Nets matchup that would have been huge, right? Except for the fact there's no KD or AD. So, you know, I'll, I'll still have them. I'm still interested, but it's definitely lost some of its luster with those two out of there. You heard LeBron, you know, they were asking LeBron about have we ever seen an offensive trio like, you know, James Harden, Durant, and Kyrie. And he goes, oh, y'all are quick to forget about that Warrior team. Y'all damn quick to forget about that Warrior team. And here's the irony in that, because as dismissive as LeBron James was during the heart of the rivalry between the Warriors, from here on out until the end of time, whenever we hear from LeBron, he's going to remind everybody how great the Splash Brothers were and how great those Warriors team, because say what you want about Bron, he's no dummy. It simply adds to his legacy, the fact that he went against maybe one of the greatest teams of all time. Why would he downplay that? Anyway, I'm going to wrap this thing up. This is your boy, out, the hezzy, basketballgods.net. I'm out, y'all.